Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. We got a great episode today. It's just me and my boy coming in. First time, I wouldn't say it's your first time doing a solo thing, but it's your first time being the lone guest, the lone co-host, and that's Mike Bonfield. What is up, my guy? What's going on, Pete? As always, happy to be here. I'm ready to talk some Knicks, some Mets, some basketball playoffs. Um, looking forward to this episode, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, bro. It's good. And I'll tell you, I'll get this one out of the way. Now, since it's just me and you, we can have this nice one-to-one. We can have uh, the free-flowing conversation that kind of, not that it doesn't exist when you have three or four guys, because you totally get there. I think when we have our guys on, we we get each other. We know when... We're getting in and getting out of takes and whatnot, so we do a good job. But one-on-one is a little bit easier. Now I think you've finally hit the point, though, that you don't have to say thank you every time you're on the podcast. True. All right. I uh, I guess I, I'll, I'll take my manners back a little bit. Um, just know that I always appreciate it. It's, oh, okay. It's understood that it's always appreciated to be here. It is, and it's appreciated that from me that you are here as well. So the appreciation goes both ways. And not to throw you on the spot, but I felt like – it was a good opportunity to be like, yo, I appreciate you. I now know that you appreciate me. And now you don't have to say thanks every time. So it helps out all of us. Word, man. Word. Sounds good. And what we now both in common have a lack of appreciation for the Atlanta Hawks, who just beat the Washington Wizards, putting our New York Knicks just a little bit farther back from that four seed that we got a taste of. But are, now we're just sniffing it. We're just smelling it from down the block right now. We're smelling the four seed, uh, and we're not tasting it. The Hawk, uh, the Heat are also ahead of us because the Heat have beat our asses this year, and we don't have the tiebreak with them. And despite us beating the Hawks this year three times out of three, we don't have the tiebreak over the Hawks because of the way the division stuff works with the Hawks beating the Heat. It's kind of complicated, but does that make that make sense, right? Like that all checks out for you? Yeah, it checks out. I got the standings here, man. Atlanta's sitting at the four, and they're going to stay there. Because uh, like you just said, they handled their business against Washington tonight. Uh, Miami sits at the five, and we're at the six. It's tough because, you know, you think about the playoffs, and we're going to get into this in a little bit. We're going to talk about that Lakers game. We're going to talk about the possible matchups. But to give you a little teaser here, you think about the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, and you see the Knicks in the sixth seed, and that leads you to the Milwaukee Bucks. And let's be honest, that is a 99.9% L for the Knicks. Do I need to do I need to lower that, or do I need to make it 100? <laughs> um, you know, I've seen crazier things happen in sports, um, so we can leave it at 99.9, but that, that's pretty fair. Um, I, I don't think that they win. I mean, if they get lucky, they take two games in a series against Milwaukee. Um, but I, I think... More than likely, it's it's a five-game series in favor of the Bucks. And, you know, could we make the argument that the New York Knicks are similar to the Heat of last year with that defensive intensity and perhaps they can be 
you know, that style of team to give Giannis issues uh, when it comes to playoff basketball and building a wall and making him a jump shooter and all this stuff. Yes. So maybe I'll make it 97%, 95%, but let's just be real. It would, it would be a long, long shot barring injury for the Knicks to come out on top of that series. And I think we can all agree on that. I don't think we have to discuss it too particularly. Perhaps later on we can talk about the 5% chance of them flipping that series on its head and beating the Bucks in the first round. But, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there because we do have more things to talk about with the Knicks in particular, with the Hawks, with the Heat, and with that whole playoff situation. Uh, but first, we do have some other basketball stuff to get to. Quick reminder here on Subway Sports Talk, after that, as Mike mentioned, though, we will have some Mets talk. Mets' seven-game win streak feels great, feels nice. Yankees, they're playing better baseball as well. They're now four games above five hundred as Garrett Cole just pitched a gem, and the Yankees won one nothing on Wednesday night. So New York baseball is feeling really good. And, Mike, real quick before we get to the next segment, I know I keep pushing it back. I thought about this the other day on Sunday. We had a Yankees win, a Mets win, and a Knicks win. And then again, on, was it Tuesday they played the Clippers, or was it Monday they played the Clippers? Uh, I forget. Doesn't matter. It was was Sunday. It was Sunday they played the Clippers. Sorry, Sunday they played the Clippers. Uh, And then last night, sorry. And then last night against um, the Lakers, which was Tuesday, if they won against the Lakers, which they could have, it would have been two times in a row the Knicks played, they won, and both the Mets and Yankees won, which would have been, I can't imagine that happening anytime in recent history because the Knicks were hard to, they're hard-pressed to find wins in the past. Um, And to add insult to injury on on that Lakers game, I had a bet in on FanDuel, two bets actually, one was a straight, you know, game parlay when I had like three other games, whoever I had doesn't really particularly matter. Um, I guess I could pull it up. I had the Nuggets to win over the Hornets money line, Timberwolves to beat the Pistons money line, Heat to beat the Celtics money line, all those things worked out. I also had the Knicks to beat the Lakers money line, plus 130, nice plus 700 odds. It felt good, felt great watching that game. Obviously, it was stressful for other reasons. On top of that though, Mike I had a same-game parlay in on FanDuel with, just to give you a couple, things to this nature. Derrick Rose scoring 10 points, easy. Anthony Davis scoring 20, he got there. Kuzma 10, easy peasy. couple other ones, and the Knicks plus 2.5 to top it all off. But unfortunately, I had R.J. Barrett to score 10 points. It's not, not 11, just 10. 10 points or more, right? And I also needed in that other bet the Knicks to win. So R.J. Barrett got that really crappy three up at the end, missed it. But if he hit it, I would have won both of those bets. One was plus 700 odds. One was plus 550 odds. And boy, was it just pain for me last night, Mike. It was pain. Yeah, man. I am I am over here just like shaking my head, um, thinking about, isn't it just, that's just how it goes. That's just how it goes. You know what I mean? Like if it's not one thing, it's another. And in this case for you, it was all of them. Um, and I mean, RJ Barrett, we, we can discuss further, but I mean, I didn't, I don't think I heard his name mentioned in the fourth quarter or overtime, aside from he took one, three that like rimmed in and out. And then that last shot, which like, again, we, he we was can screwed. get to and discuss further. Yeah. Um, he got put in a bad spot rough, there man. for sure. Yeah. It was rough. He missed a, a three earlier in the game in that fourth quarter overtime. I kind of forget now. I think he was in the fourth quarter that could have been. You know, dagger a Jace, put them up. 
nicely with a, a couple, like a minute left or something like that. He missed it. He shot two for 13 and got eight points. And I needed 10. Oh, what? It was brutal. Anyways, I, I wonder how many. I wonder how many times we could see if uh, Barrett scored under ten this season, because it can't be many. It can't. It can't be it, many. It's probably not many, but it's probably a dozen. If yeah. I had to guess, I'll try to look it up as we move on to the Knicks talk later on. We'll circle back to that if I do remember. Because um, yeah, you know what? It does feel like his floor is like twelve points. It really does. Uh, but we'll we'll get back to the Knicks in a second. Right now, though, we're gonna do a little a little segment that I'm calling Take Tester. As, you know, you're growing up in school. Some kids are good test takers. Some kids aren't good test takers. And that term just popped into my head for some reason, perhaps because of the argument I had with one of my friends talking about grades for players and, and things like that. So we're doing take tester right now, Mike, where I'm going to give you a take of mine, and I'm going to want you to kind of grade it. Maybe try to poke holes in it if you see fit. Maybe play some devil's advocate. Maybe agree. Maybe double down. Who knows? It's up to you. I'm... You know, putting my take to the test right now, and you're going to see what you think. Sound fair? Sounds good to me. Let's hear it. Nikola Jokic is the MVP. There's not really much to debate, in my opinion. But unfortunately, we have fans out here who happen to be homers for their particular town, and they love their player, and they're pulling for said player. Now, based upon where I live, Based upon the town that Mike actually visited, if you remember the podcast from a week or so ago, to see the Mets play the Philadelphia Phillies, you now know who I'm talking about. It's Joel Embiid, and it's the Philadelphia 76ers and their fans. Now, Mike, I don't know where you land on this whole conversation just yet. I don't know if the listeners here are listening to me like, oh my God, another guy talking about the MVP. Like, we get it. Because that's how I feel talking about it, to be honest. And I thought it was over. I didn't think I was going to get one more text or see one more tweet saying that anybody not named Nikola Jokic is the MVP. And little do I know that a bunch of fans in old Philadelphia are still pulling extremely hard for Joel Embiid to be the MVP. In fact, my buddy, his name is Matt. I'm going to call him straight out because I don't care. argued with him today. saw him again. He sent me an article on the Fanatic, 97.5, the Fanatic's website. So... Off the jump, you know it's being written from the Philly perspective, but it said, Joel Embiid is the MVP, and it shouldn't be close. Or I I don't remember the exact title of the article. I'll get it here in a second. And I was like, oh my God, we're back on this. I thought him and I had this argument the day before, and it was over, and instead we continued and continued and continued. So the article is called, Embiid is the MVP no matter who the voters pick, which is incorrect because the voters pick the MVP. So let me just go with this argument first. Joel Embiid has played 49 games this year so far, and he's been freaking incredible. My guy has been actually awesome. He's been an MVP caliber player for sure for 49 games. He's been, can't even talk enough about how good he's been for 49 games. He's averaging 29 points, almost 11 rebounds, three assists. He's getting to the free throw line 11 times, which is like James Harden level. And he's shooting 86%. For a center, it's off the charts. And to talk about Joel Embiid's defense, we can talk about one of the more dominating players in the league. It's all true. And it's all fair. And it all doesn't mean a damn thing. 49 games. 49. Do you know how many games Nikola Jokic has played this year so far? And I don't know if he's playing tonight as we speak or he plays in an hour or so. Uh, the Nuggets do not play tonight, so he's, it's stuck at this number for now. 
Do you know, Mike, off the top of your head? I do. 20 games more. 20. 20 games more than Embiid. 20 games more. 20 games. So that means in a 72-game season, 20 games is literally over 25%. It's 27% of the games. 27, right? So this is the argument I made to my buddy who's a teacher, and this is why it hit home. I said, would you rather have the student with a 99 average who missed 30 days of class out of your he's a high school teacher, not college, high school teacher? Would you rather have a student who had a 99 average who missed 30 days of class? Would you pick him as the most exemplary student, the best student, the most outstanding student? Or would you pick the guy with a 98 or a 97.8 who went to school every single day and was a great student in the classroom? Because if you think about it like that, or if any in any other walk of life, it's not close. It's not close. So that's number one. I think the conversation stop, like stops there. I don't think there's anything more to say. But because this whole thing really bothers me, it really does because these people still think Embiid should be the MVP. You're acting like Nikola Jokic doesn't average 26 points, also 11 rebounds, and eight and a half assists. So if you want to come at me and say, hey, Joel Embiid has been better in his 49-game stretch than Nikola Jokic's, whatever, 49-game stretch, I can possibly hear that argument. I can hear that argument. Actually, it might be true. I might agree with it. And that does not do anything to this MVP talk. Because for starters, Nikola Jokic has been better on defense. In fact, he's now considered to be above average by many as a defender. He's not on Embiid's level, but he's really good. He's getting better there, and he's doing pretty good there. And his offense is insane. He runs the whole team. He runs the whole offense and doesn't have an all-star on his roster. Not Obviously not counting Paul Millsap, who's past his prime. Jamal Murray, now hurt. Michael Porter Jr. had COVID earlier in the year, in his second year only. Meanwhile, Joel Embiid is playing with Ben Simmons, an all-NBA player, another all-defensive level player. Tobias Harris, who's been a borderline all-star for three or four or five years maybe. 19 points, 50-40-90 club. More or less. I think he's 89% from free throw. Matisse Tybel getting looks. All defensive. All, all NBA. Uh, all defensive team. Second team. He's getting looks there. Seth Curry would probably be the second or third best scorer on the Nuggets. He's like the fourth option in Philly sometimes. Most of the time. You know, Danny Green. Championship caliber. Uh, the Nuggets. Will Barton. I mean, Will Barton's probably better perhaps than Danny Green right now. But let's let's be honest here. The Sixers are a really awesome team too. And Jokic is doing all this in a bag of tricks with no All-Stars next to him, with his best player now out for the rest of the season. And when it comes down to it, the best ability is availability. A lot of people make the argument in MVP times, oh, well, if you took Jokic off the Nuggets, they'd be terrible. Oh, look, the Sixers are 9-11, and which is, I'm pretty sure, accurate now because they lost against the Pacers without Embiid. They're 9-11 and 11 without Embiid. Look how important he is to that team. He's so important. They're 9-11 and 11 without him. Well, guess what? For those 20 games, he's not bringing any value. So how are you going to use that as an argument to the most valuable player? In fact, he's hurting his team actively by not being available. So you can tell me all you want about how dominant he's been. And you can make a caveat and say, he's been the most dominant player this year. I don't care. It's over. Nikola Jokic is the MVP. Talk to me about maybe Steph Curry getting second. You can argue Steph Curry and Embiid. Their games are a little bit closer 
closer together. You can argue about Giannis because he's sneaky been so good. No one just cares because he got two in a row. It's Jokic or bust. Don't give me anything else. I don't want to hear it, and I'm over it. And that's all I have to say. I went like three minutes longer than I planned, but that's it. I, I'm done. Mike, what do you got to say? Well, I mean, if I'm over here grading your take, um, I'm giving you an A-plus on that one because I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think that Jokic, it's Jokic or bust. Um, I think, to to your point again, he's played 20 more games, which I'm not saying is Embiid's fault. Like, it's not like he went out there and got himself hurt on purpose to miss time. But that's the way it goes. You know what I mean? Jokic stayed healthy. And not only did he stay healthy, he stayed consistent while he was healthy. Like you said, averaging almost 27, 11, and eight and a half assists. I think what's more impressive to me is these guys both play center. Um, Embiid's shooting percentage, shooting just under 52% from the field. Jokic, uh, just over 56% from the field. From three, Embiid, and listen, like we're, we're not, we're talking about centers, you know what I mean? These guys aren't expected to have a high three-point percentage. But from three, Embiid just under 38%. Jokic almost just under 40%. And then from the free throw line, they actually, uh, Jokic is a hair better at 86.6% and then beads at 86 on the dot. Um, but I mean, these numbers that Jokic is putting up are just unreal. Um, and like you said, again, I think the value of his team, uh, Philly is a much better team, at least on paper, than Denver is, especially missing Jamal Murray, the only other all star caliber player on that team um i also think playing in the western conference down the stretch here where you have teams pretty much seeds one through eight one through nine competing in and out every single night and Jokic is continuing to lead the nuggets to that middle of the conference they currently sit at the four seed they're a game behind the clippers i mean look at the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, the Suns, Booker, Aiton, Chris Paul, the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell, I mean, who's been out a little bit recently, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and, I, and the Denver Nuggets, Nikola Jokic, and dot, 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 yeah. fill in the blank because Murray's out. So I agree with you. I think it absolutely has to be Jokic or bust. And I also agree with you in terms of I thought this conversation was over. Me too. Uh, and I think that I think the conversation is over because when you turn on ESPN, you don't hear about the MVP debate. If there was a real MVP debate, they would be talking about it because this is this is when you would be talking about it. We're getting to the end of the season here. This is when they would be talking about it. It's what they would be talking about. But instead, you hear about Aaron Rodgers and if he's going to be on the Packers every single day. Mm-hmm. I feel like we would be paying a little bit more attention to the quote-unquote MVP race if there wasn't already someone running across the finish line. Yeah, and there's there's some people, and thank you for the for the good grade. It's I I kind of feel bad using that as the first take tester, uh, whatever first take tester uh, segment, really, because it's tough, and I think it's impossible to disagree with that statement. Like all those statements that we yeah, just made, yeah. it's impossible. But there are people like Brian Windhorst, Nick Wright, amongst others, who are on a national stage, who are talking every single day, sometimes on TV and radio and podcasts, saying that Joel Embiid needs a better look. No, he doesn't. I could argue he shouldn't even be on the ballot. That's a better argument than putting him number one. He's missed 27% of the games. I don't care about the rest of it. It doesn't matter. And now we wasted, what what are we at, 15 minutes already here? Talk 20 minutes already here? Talking about a thing that should be over. 
And yet I still got so worked up talking to my Philly friends when they were trying to be like, yo, but you got to see how good he's been this year. Like, if you really watch how good he's been, I was like, and what about all the games he didn't play, dude? Come on. I'm not saying anything about this guy's talent. I'm not saying anything about how dominant he's been on the court this year. It's just a non-starter argument. 27% of games. And that will get up to, if he misses like two more games, I think that'll be 30%. He'll miss 30%, of almost a third of the season. It's not even an argument. Steph Curry has played 62 games. That is a better argument against Jokic for me because the Warriors are hot garbage outside of Stephen Curry and Draymond Green on defense specifically. They're garbage. So I'm, I'm just like, I'm worked up. We haven't done MVP talk on this podcast. And if we were going to do MVP talk, we'd focus on numbers two, three, four, and five on the ballot because it's obvious Jokic is number one. That's where this debate gets interesting. And right now on my ballot, Embiid's not even two. I don't even know if he's three. Like, I honestly don't. I really just, I can't do that. I know they've been awesome with him. They basically got the one seed locked up and all this stuff. It's all great. It just doesn't matter when you miss almost 30%. Of the damn season, it doesn't. It doesn't matter at all. One of the other things, real quick, is uh, in this article that we referenced here. One of the um, all you know advanced metric stats. I think it's Pi P I E. It's put out by the NBA. You know, Jokic Embiid uh, leads Jokic. All, there's many other advanced metrics that Jokic leads. It's not close. I'm actually done. I'm going to stop because I can keep going, and we need to move on. All right, I'm calm down now. Reeled it back in. This is the next one, Mike, for the take tester. This is take tester take two, if you will. In the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Lakers are and should still be the NBA or the Western Conference champion favorites. And not particularly because they are that much better or because... LeBron James is healthy enough to do what he has to do to lead this team, or Anthony Davis is healthy enough to do what he has to do to lead this team. It almost has nothing to do with the Lakers, Mike. I am saying the Lakers are the favorite because I don't think I can trust any of the Western Conference teams above them. I think there's enough holes in this conference that if the Lakers just beat the Warriors in the play-in game and they get the seven seed or whatever, even if they get the eight seed, I don't care. As long as they're there, when there's eight teams left in the Western Conference, they should still be the absolute favorite to win the West. And it has less to do with the health that we're trying to perceive for them as much as it has to do with, I can't trust the Jazz. I don't know what the Suns are going to look like in the playoffs. The Clippers can't be trusted yet either. The Nuggets lost their second-best player. The Mavericks have been a lot better lately, but still don't have the firepower to be trusted long-term in the playoffs. And the Portland Trailblazers can't stop a soul unless Yusuf Nurkic is playing 30 minutes a game and he hasn't proven to do so. So yes, LeBron James and Anthony Davis are obviously awesome, but I think as big a reason to pick them moving forward is because I don't I don't know how to trust any of the other teams in the West. Mike, what do you say? All right, so again, to, to grade you on this one, I'm going to have to go with a, a solid B. Okay, because I got some mixed reactions. I got some mixed reactions because I agree with part of what you're saying, but I also disagree with part of what you're saying. So we'll start with what I agree with. What I agree with is no teams in the West can be trusted in terms of there is no clear-cut favorite. We look at the Eastern Conference, and you really have these top three teams. 
Like, if anybody is going to argue that a team other than the Sixers, the Nets, or the Bucks are going to come out of the East, you're going to tell them that they don't watch basketball. Now, that doesn't mean that it's impossible because I don't think anyone picked the Miami Heat to come out of the East last year. So it's not impossible, but I think it's more than likely than not that those are your top three clear-cut teams to come out of the Eastern Conference. You move to the Western Conference now, and like you said, it's not that these teams aren't talented enough to do it, which is what it more is in the Eastern Conference. It's that there is no clear-cut team that is so much better, like those top three in the East. There is That doesn't exist in the Western Conference because any of these teams have the potential to beat any of these teams. Now, the Lakers, I understand you don't want to take into consideration the health of LeBron and AD, but I think we have to take that into consideration because those guys not being 100% healthy puts the Lakers in that category as one of those teams that has holes. Like they fall into that category of the rest of the Western Conference where they are now beatable, just like any other team in the Western Conference is. So to call them the favorite, yes, you could definitely, I definitely think you can make that argument. You know what I mean? When you have LeBron out there and Anthony Davis, like it's hard not to be considered a top team. But given the fact, and I think it goes beyond LeBron and AD. I mean, Schroeder hasn't played in a minute. Caruso left the game early and like, you know, these aren't their stars, but in the playoffs, you know, the game slows down. You need to have a deep bench like Montrez Harold. I mean, the Lakers also just haven't been playing great basketball lately. They've picked it up recently, but you know, like I was just saying overall, I mean, I really don't think that the Lakers can be considered to be a clear cut favorite in the Western conference, largely in part due to the fact that we don't know the health status of LeBron and AD. And I think it also, I mean, it's crazy because my dad is a diehard Laker fan. Um, and he's, he's frustrated because they see LeBron's coming back against the Knicks. And then he, po- he postpones that and he's coming back against the Rockets instead. And now not only is LeBron not playing, but Davis also isn't playing tonight. Now the Lakers should still beat the Rockets. The Rockets are one of the worst. They are the worst team in the Western Conference. They're the worst team in basketball. I'm looking at it right now. They're the worst team in basketball. So the Lakers should still handle their business against the Rockets tonight. But it's it's almost like the Lakers have accepted the fact that they're going to be playing in the play-in game by having these guys sit out. Now, I don't know if they're only sitting out tonight because they think that they can handle the Rockets without these guys and they're going to be back to try to continue to make a push. I mean, right now they're a game behind Dallas and Portland who sit in the five and six spots. But if health is the priority, which is understandable, if that's what the route that they want to go, you know, you don't want to bring these guys back to try to avoid a play in. And now you don't have them in a series and you're still out in the first round regardless. So I get it, but it's just, it's very interesting because, you know, a guy like LeBron James and a guy like Anthony Davis, these guys are not missing time during the season unless they have to, especially now. I mean, because it's more too than just, getting a certain seed or avoiding the play and it's you guys want to be hitting your stride gelling as a team before you start to get into playoff mode and you know having these guys out LeBron's been out for a minute now Davis missed a, a good amount of time this season I feel like he's been getting back into it recently but is still trying to establish himself as that Anthony Davis that we that we've all come to know in the NBA um so to be 100% honest with you I understand that the Lakers can be considered a favorite 
but certainly not a clear-cut favorite because we don't know how they're going to be playing in the playoffs or how healthy they'll be. Yeah, I mean, it's fair. So I'll go, I'll go back to my take with to add this. Right now, the Western Conference odds, according to FanDuel, Lakers are plus 260. That's the best odds. The Clippers are right behind at plus 270. The Jazz at plus 280. Vegas right now has the Phoenix Suns at plus 600. That's quite a leap down to them. And you have to think that part of why the Suns are plus 600 is because it looks like they're going to get the Lakers in the first round. You know what I'm saying? So that's part of it. So let me ask you this question here because this is kind of how I started thinking about it. Watching the Lakers play without LeBron last night, without Schroeder, without Caruso, um, just watching that break down against the Knicks. Their defense was still freaking awesome. Like The Knicks' defense is really good. It's like number four, I believe, in the league right now. The Lakers have the best defense in the league. And it's weird because, A, we haven't looked at uh, the Lakers, or the LeBron, I should say, LeBron-led teams as defensive juggernauts until, you know, maybe in the playoffs they ramp it up until last year when that defense was awesome and the reason they they won so many games and won the championship, right? Like, now this defense is a well-oiled machine with or without LeBron James in the, in the game. And his defensive numbers are obviously great. So I think the defense remains solid without them. And I do think that without one or the other, Anthony Davis or LeBron, is going to sound crazy. As a seven seed, they can still win without one of them. Without one of them. I think they can still win a first-round series, and then hopefully you get them back. Or maybe, you know, you get like two-and-a-half games of Anthony Davis in the first round. Like, I think that might be all you need for the Lakers to beat the Jazz. Just one of them. I, I don't know. Maybe that's real hard hardcore shade on the Jazz. Maybe it is. But Donovan Mitchell's also banged up. Rudy Gobert has been getting played out of playoff series on multiple occasions in his career. DeAndre Ayton could get played out of a playoff series uh, this year coming up if they do the right thing and, and people attack him properly. You know what I mean? And, like, the Clippers, if they're healthy and the Lakers aren't, sure, they might have more talent. But if one of AD and LeBron are healthy, I still might pick the Lakers because they're a more sound team with better defense and seem to be pulling in the right direction more often. Yeah, I mean, definitely a fair take there. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'm not saying it's impossible for the Lakers to, you know, come out of the West because they absolutely can. They're more than capable. And I'm glad that you alluded to how good the Lakers have been on defense, literally the top team in the league, which is not something that, like you said, when you think of a LeBron-led team, you're not thinking defense, you know what I mean? You're thinking, especially LeBron and AD. And not especially in the regular season. Defensively. Yeah, yeah. Not to say that these guys aren't great defensively because, you know, they are. But it's just not the first thing that comes to mind, especially, too, in the Western Conference. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not, you know, you're thinking Eastern Conference more defense. Or maybe that could also be struggle of offense combined with defense. But conversation for another time. Um, but back to your point, like, if they have one of those guys, I, of course, think it matters who they play in the first round. I think it matters if they play the Jazz, how healthy Donovan Mitchell is, because he's been out too. Um, I'm very interested to see what the Clippers are going to look like in the playoffs this year. If they come back with some kind of vengeance, if they have a chip on their shoulder, I'm really hoping that they do. You know what I mean? I hope yeah. Paul George is ready to come and prove everybody wrong this year um, and just show that last year was a fluke. Because if they choke again, I mean, now it's a pattern. And that's that's who they are now. You know what I mean? Like, So it's going to be very interesting to see how they come out and play. 
Uh, and then Phoenix, I really do think DeAndre Ayton is going to be the wild card in whatever series they have. Um, because like I said, whether they play Portland, Dallas, I think they beat Portland. But if they play Dallas or the Lakers, I don't like their chances against the Lakers. Um, and I think if they play Dallas, it's going to really depend on how Ayton plays. Because we have seen promising signs from him this year, but we also haven't seen him take that next step and get to that next level. And to be able to do that in the playoffs might be huge for his career or detrimental to the Suns, and they could have an early exit in the first round. Yeah. So we'll see. Interesting. But the Lakers are definitely capable. Just going to depend on health, and we'll see. Yeah, I put you in a bad spot because the Lakers is hypothetical. We we do have to consider health. I know in my take I was trying to be like, oh, even if they're not healthy, like obviously my confidence in them and everybody's confidence in them goes up tenfold if LeBron and AD are on the court. But I do think there's the, there's an angle here where LeBron James has looked at these last regular season games when he realized that the sixth seed might be out of, out of touch and said, I'm getting right for playing. I got to do what I got to do. Go out there, uh, THT. Taylor Horton Tucker, take over, bro. <laughs> Go get 10 assists again. Like, I don't, I can't, I'm not risking it. I'm not rushing until it matters. And when it matters, you'll see me doing me and taking out everybody. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I put you in a yeah. tough spot because it's hypothetical. But man, seeing them play without everybody but Anthony Davis and Taylor Horton Tucker last night and KCP, like, they were still impressive. Like, you know what I'm saying? The Knicks offense could not get going. Randall, they were the Knicks grinded last night. They played an incredibly hard game and they couldn't score when it mattered most, especially, but they couldn't really score all game. So it made me feel even better about the Lakers, even though for most of that game, I was feeling real good about what the Knicks were doing. Speaking of that, that that's enough. Yes. That's enough for uh, uh, take testers. And let's bring this conversation to the Knicks. Quick roundup. Subway sports talk, you know that. Pete Kennedy, Mike Bonfield. Now it's time to talk about the New York Knicks more specifically. It was a good segue because we just talked about the Lakers and that game was epic. Now off the jump, Mike, I just want to say this to you. The one thing that hit me hard last night and I saw Anthony Donahue. I don't know if you know who that is. He's like a huge Knicks fan. He's like on the MSG commercials sometimes. He does like Knicks interview stuff. Great dude by all metrics. Uh, I saw him tweet this, so I'll give him a shout. He's like, I forgot what it was like when your team's good because the hurt, the the losses hurt so much more, and I felt that in my heart so hard. Because last night was a roller coaster, and now everyone's listening to this on Thursday. So two nights ago against the Lakers was a roller coaster. It hurt. So what was your what was your viewing experience like, Mike? You know, knowing that the game mattered a lot, that it could really help the seeding, all the impact. No LeBron, but AD was starting to hoop, and all the different things that were moving around. What was your viewing experience like? Well, before I talk about how pissed I was going to bed last night, um, I do want to give a quick shout out to the New York Knicks while we're on the topic. They just clinched a playoff spot with the Boston Celtics loss tonight. Um, so the Knicks, yeah, yeah, man, I can't believe it. Um, officially going back to the playoffs um, for the first time in, I believe, that was nine such aggressive years, applause. Eight, eight or nine years. Um, so that's awesome. Looking forward to watching Knicks playoff basketball. Hell yeah. Playoff games at the Garden are going to be unreal. The energy is going to be crazy. Um, so I can't wait for that. Let's go, Knicks. Um, but back to last night. Um, Donahue couldn't have said any better. Um, it, I was watching the game and thinking the exact same thing as I was watching it. And I was like, wow, like, 
I can't remember, literally can't remember the last time I watched a Knicks game this late into a season and I cared or actually watched the Knicks game this late into the season in general because normally they're out of it. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm focused on the Mets by this point, but I had the Knicks game on. I watched it intensely. I was up standing. Like I could not sit down. I was standing up. I was yelling at the TV, which is like something it's, it's so refreshing. It's going to sound crazy, but it's so refreshing to have standards, to hold your team to a certain standard and expect things out of them. Because normally we go into a season and it's like, all right, I expect nothing. And if I get something, it's a win. And now we expect something. And I expected the Knicks last night. Listen, going into the game, I I wasn't saying that they were going to win. You know what I mean? But as that game was going on, they were grinding. Both teams played an awesome game. I mean, if you're a fan of basketball. Oh, incredible. That was an awesome, awesome game to watch. It had a playoff-type atmosphere. um, And it was just an awesome game. I I think the score was 91-91 at the end of regulation, which is like a throwback to like the 80s and 90s in the NBA before scoring became the whole game. Um, so it was just an awesome game to watch, but it stung. It definitely stung. Um, Randall had that floater. He had such a good look at the end of that game, man. And I'm just like, this is the guy who we wanted to take the shot. Like, he's got his look. He drove. He didn't just settle. He drove to the hoop. Didn't get any contact, which means he probably had a good look. And he had a good look, and he just missed it. All right, so we go to overtime. They're playing overtime. The Knicks go down. Then they catch fire again. I felt like that was the whole game. It was like five-point swings back and forth. Um, pretty much the entire game, it was close. It was like 20 lead changes so or something like that. It was it was wild. It was wild. I mean, the announcers were loving it. Like, And it was TNT, so it wasn't like, you know, we didn't have the Knicks announcers or the Lakes announcers. It was just generic basketball announcers. And they kept commenting on how great the game was. Wait, hold on. Hold on. To, to stop you real quick before you go into that take, because we're going to keep talking about it. Generic, you said generic basketball announcers. Do you know that their names are Brian Anderson and Jim Jackson? <laughs> like the most generic names of all time. Like obviously J- Jim Jackson's an NBA player, but like literally if you made, uh, make some fake names up, uh, Brian Anderson and Jim J- Jackson, like <laughs> that's literally fake names. All right, continue. Sorry. Generic names, generic guys, generic takes, um, <laughs> generic all around, I guess. Yeah. Um, but that's so funny. That's too funny. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was an unreal game, uh, came down to the end. I really didn't like the look RJ got at the end. Um, and the one thing, the one thing that I can comment on watching that game last night, as awesome as Julius Randle has been the tough buckets that he hits, it's just unreal, like tough bucket after tough bucket. The only thing that I've noticed negatively, I guess you could say is he'll get double teamed. He'll get trapped. And because he knows he can hit those tough buckets, sometimes he's holding onto the ball a little too long and turning it over, whether it's a steal, it's a travel, it's a bad pass, whatever it is, he's holding onto the ball a little too long because he wants to be able to hit that tough shot because he knows he can. And it's so not frustrating, but it's just like, you know, I'm sitting here watching the games and I'm like, you can hit this shot, but like you also have to understand if they are going to do this every time, you can't take the shot every time because they're doing this because they know that you want to take the shot. That's why they're double teaming you. They're double teaming you because they know you have the ability 
to make that shot when you take it. So you got to kick it out. Now, you got to be able to rely on guys like RJ Barrett, who shot, would you say, two of 13 last night or yeah. something horrendous. Like, so RJ Barrett is not the guy that I would want to be passing the ball to necessarily at the end of the game in a situation like this. But at the same time, you know, you got to be able to trust your teammates. Yeah. And I noticed on that last possession, especially, it happened a few times at the end of the game um, where he got double teamed. And, you know, the Lakers do play great defense, though. You know what I mean? We did say that they were the top defense team in the league. Mm-hmm. But it was it was just very deflating um, to have so much riding on that game for both teams. And you could tell that so much was riding on that game for both teams. And to have the Knicks fall just short, it was it was heartbreaking. It you, was heartbreaking. You you honestly you nailed that Randall take there because I didn't even put it into the 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 perfect context right there like you just did in my head. I was thinking about last night uh, the Randall double teams like damn like he's got to do better there, but you kind of nailed it and put it all full circle, put it all together because it's not that he doesn't or he wasn't making any plays at the double team. It was just that he was getting too comfortable waiting to make that play, right? It's like you just needed it to be quicker. Like, hey, man, some of these double teams, get rid of it quick and then go get it back. Don't wait until the last second to make the pass or make the play, uh, the shot on all these double teams because it's going to come back to bite you. And it, it bit him like three or four times from like two minutes in the fourth quarter to the end of overtime. It's perfect because he's made, honestly, a highlight reel and a living this year with what Zach Glow and then Dan Favalli on this podcast call called uh, 11th hour passes, like the last possible second he's whipping a pass to the corner or back out to the top of the key. Perhaps he even jumps first, which you're never supposed to do, but he made it work, right? But then last night, it just didn't, it didn't land. It didn't give his teammates advantageous positions. In fact, it gave the Lakers time to rotate more and then nobody was getting a good shot or a good look, good opportunity to drive, et cetera. So nice job by you on that take because he just needed to be quicker on some of those. Like some of them, you get it. He makes those shots. It's incredible. But he needed to do more and more quickly uh, in those double team situations. I think he also did look a little tired last night, which is worrisome going into the playoffs. He looked a little bit gassed. I'm not worried about it moving forward yet, but like, damn, my guy has played 40 minutes a lot this year. A lot. So, I don't know. But on the R.J. Barrett front, he didn't have a good game. There's been different games where you would throw him that ball with five seconds left and feel confident or, you know, comfortable that he'll get a decent shot. Last night was not his night. In fact, you could probably argue that Frank Nilakina could have been in the game still there because that guy was balling last night. Like, I know we joke, and I talk about Frank, how he's going to be a great NBA or a very solid NBA player, a rotational piece that many teams would want on their team. Last night, he proved it. I mean, he was flying around on defense. He had a handful of threes. And he was way more comfortable than R.J. Barrett was for the entire night on both ends of the floor. You can argue he could have been in, but R.J. Barrett's your guy. You're not going to take him out um, in the last seconds of the game. So it's tough. Uh, Anything else that you saw, though? Because obviously that Randall point was really good. Anything else that you saw? I thought Rose had some uh, possessions where he was forcing a bit, but he kind of had to because he was also carrying the team at different points. But... As far as that offense uh, is con- like considered all around, you know, not just Randall, not just Rose, anything else that you want to call out as to why they could be struggling to get over that hump and still scoring in the 90s sometimes? Yeah, I mean, it, it comes back to R.J. Barrett, you know what I mean? And I think it's Derek Rose 
of course, we, we love that he's carrying, you know what I mean? He's been such a huge part um, in contributing to the success of the New York Knicks um, during this, this span of winning that they've had. But as, as great as that is, and as much as he's valued coming off the bench and what he's giving every single night, R.J. Barrett needs to be that guy or, or someone. And, you know, we're missing Alec Burks, which, again, I can't believe we're sitting here like, missing alec burks you know what i mean <laughs> yeah but it's true though here we are missing alec burks absolutely and iq absolutely you know and iq wow i totally forgot about that yeah and iq so i mean those are two pretty big pieces um of maybe not necessarily the new york knicks offense in terms of like he's not they're not putting up randall numbers or but absolutely instrumental in contributing to winning because everybody plays their part everybody does their role and that's what produces a winning team especially at this part of the season um so someone has got to step up i really watching that game last night did not feel confident in anybody with the ball other than randall and rose and that's a problem they looked lost and like unless rose was handling at top of the key or randall had it somewhere they look they looked like no one wanted to do anything unless if those guys kind of spoon fed them you know what i mean yeah, yeah. I mean, even like Alfred Payton and like, I know I'm not expecting a ton out of Alfred Payton, but even he didn't look great. Last. Like, it just was really Rose and Randall. And I felt like that was the theme for a good portion of crunch time in the game. Uh, and that, that can't be the case. You're not going to win games like that at this part of the season or through most of the season if that is the case. Um, and, I also and, just want to point out, sorry, real quick. Um, Derek Rose on defense, um, he made some unreal plays. Uh, at toward the end of the game where I mean I forget who it was on but he came from behind and poked the ball away THT. and then as he was jumping out of bounds save the ball I mean these are clutch plays I mean these are the plays that keep you in the game that force the game to go to overtime that keep the game close I mean you cannot ask for more this guy's coming off the bench this guy I, I it's it's just unbelievable so to what he's been doing that veteran presence he's got that mindset like to physically be able to make the play is one thing but to think about making the play and to know how to go about making the play to successfully pull it off goes such a long way for the team. And I think it goes unnoticed sometimes. Another great point by you. Uh, and what I'll add to before we get to my next question for you on the Knicks, I think it's actually interesting and then we'll move on to our, our next conversation. But mentioned how maybe Frank could have been in that spot to take the shot instead of RJ. And that's that's idealistic. You know, Frank's not that guy, really, even though he had an awesome game, and I loved what he did last night. And talk about Derrick Rose's defense. Frank's is right there. Um, IQ is probably a guy who, in that spot, has to take a 30-foot three with three seconds left. You feel probably better with him shooting that than anyone on the team, even though he's a rookie, even though he hasn't hit big shots like that before, like buzzer beaters or anything like that. He's proven the confidence to take 30-footers. He's a he's a big piece to miss, and and... You know, you talk about LeBron being missed on the Lakers. Obviously, LeBron trumps all cards, all of them. But the, the Knicks weren't missing nobody, right? So the both teams were banged up. Yes, the Knicks had one of their point guards, if you count. Obviously, that too, if you count Derrick Rose. But I mean, Alfred Payton, but he's nothing right now on offense. He's literally a zero, so that's tough. But in regards to the offense, there needs to be some sort of comfort for those other guys to facilitate or get other guys incorporated. It literally looked like every time there's a rebound, where's Derrick Rose? Where is he? Uh, if we don't get him the ball, like, what are we going to do? Like, they needed to get Derrick Rose the ball instantly or they were just, like, lost. They didn't know what to do. And that's obviously an issue. And that leads me to, like, this next conversation I want to have that I think 
has to be a conversation in the Knicks front office right now and in the coaching rooms. Derrick Rose is a backup. He's a, he's like the sixth man, if you will, right? Do you have the conversation? Well, you uh, let me not say that. You're having the conversation about bringing him to the starting lineup or not, right? And then you think about the different factors. He's still the closer, so it doesn't particularly matter if he starts, right? Because he's still closing games. But he's done so much and done so well as that leading bench guy. There, the, the Knicks bench is killing other benches because of Derrick Rose and what he's done with that unit. Do you consider messing that up a little bit and putting Rose in the starting five and playing him the 30 minutes he's going to play in the playoffs anyway? Or do you keep him on the bench coming off and kind of running the second unit? So to answer your question, literally, do you consider it? Yeah, you have to consider it because of the way he's been playing. Would I take him off the bench and put him into the starting role? No, I wouldn't because, like you said, their bench has been destroying other benches, largely in part due to Derrick Rose. And that spark off the bench, I mean, like you said, they were they didn't know what to do. They just they needed to find Derrick Rose and get him the ball, whether it was off a rebound or at the top of the key, wherever it like to reset, like whatever it was, they needed to get the ball to Derrick Rose. You need a guy like that coming off the bench so that way when your starters are out of the game, you're not totally losing all the time. You know what I mean? You're, you're hanging in there. You're, you're, you might even be winning some of the time. You know what I mean? And their bench has done that because Derrick Rose has helped them do that. So I think, I mean, what, is Peyton probably their starting, their quote-unquote starting point guard right now? I would consider putting quickly in to start a few games before I would Derek Rose, of course, not because quickly is a better player or because he's produced more. Obviously, we know Rose's production, but I think Rose's production is so important in that bench role that you have to keep him there, in my opinion. But I definitely do think it's it's a consideration for sure. They have to be talking about it. Yeah, and on the broadcast, um, they asked Tibbs, I guess, or Jim Jackson asked Tibbs before. I forget what happened, but he basically said, right now, Alfred Payton's our starter. Um, he sets the tone on defense and he can facilitate a little bit. And I agree with that. That's what Tibbs believes right now, but I'm with you. They're having that conversation. You have to have that conversation. It's tough because Quickly's plus minus this year has been good. I think he's like plus six or plus seven per like on average for the year or something like that. So that's good. Derek Rose is like plus 10 or 11. How much of Quickly's plus minus has to do with Derek Rose, right? And this is kind of how I look at it. Randall is the focal point for the starting five in the first quarter anyway. You know, they're running some of their sets and they're doing some of their things and Peyton's running a pick and roll to give it up and whatever. But Randall's the focal point. Rose becomes the focal point of everything else. And then in the final five minutes of the fourth quarter, they're both on the floor and you have those two options. So maybe maybe you're right, and I think I do agree with you. You keep it with Rose coming off the bench and you see what happens there. Uh, and and I don't know, maybe even this, this might be crazy. Maybe you put Burks in to start at point guard. Maybe you take Peyton out and put Burks in at the one. Why not? You know, he can defend the one enough. Between Barrett and Burks, you can probably defend the one as good as Peyton. And you have more shot creation. You have one more guy who, when it comes down to seven seconds on the shot clock, can put the ball on the ground and get a decent look. So maybe maybe Burks, not traditional, but could be the one for that team, the point guard to start games. Yeah, I mean, as we come to playoff time... These these things, these non-traditional lineups um, can start to, to come into play, especially, you know, maybe not game one of the series or even game two of the series, but, you know, you're playing the same team 
over and over and over again. It's a strategy as well, you know, mixing things up, fixing up the line, giving guys another chance to start, you know, maybe they play that starter role better than they do coming off the bench. And honestly, if I'm picking between Burks and Peyton, I think you absolutely have to consider at least consider having Burks start in Peyton's spot as starting point guard. Maybe not in every game. Like I said, mix up the look, maybe games one and two or however they're going to do it. You know what I mean? But it has to be a discussion. Right. Maybe it depends if they're playing the Hawks and Peyton does a better job on Trey young than Burks does. And if they're playing the heat, you know, maybe Burks can do better against Goran Dragic or Tyler hero, whoever he would be matched up against. So, yeah, you're right. Maybe it's matchup dependent. So that brings us to the last question on the Knicks before we move to Mets and, and Yankee stuff quickly. Obviously, the Bucks are the worst case scenario for the Knicks in the first round. I think we could both agree here before we get to your take. We'd rather play the Hawks in the Heat. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Right. It seems like the Heat are the better version of the Knicks because Jimmy Butler is the best player, even though Randall's been better this year. Not by much, but he's been better this year. You know, Bam's just so tough to deal with. And that team just matches what the Knicks do well and puts a little more uh, juice on the shooting and on the defense, maybe a little, whatever. In the playoffs, you, you don't want to see Jimmy Butler in the heat. So we'll say the ranking is Bucks, Heat, Hawks. Right now, it's going to be tough to get up to that 4-5 without the, the, the tie break over the heat. And now the, the Hawks have a game on the Knicks here. So... Give me, give me, just give me your best case scenario, which would be the Hawks, I assume, what that series would look like and how you think they can match up there. Yeah. So, best case scenario is the Knicks are the four, Atlanta's the five. Uh, I was actually having this conversation with some of my friends earlier today. Um, of course, we said earlier 95 to 99.9% they're not beating the Bucks in a series. Um, I actually don't like them to beat the Heat in a series um, if they wind up facing Miami in the first round. Uh, I think they could take Miami to six or seven games, but I I really don't think that they would beat Miami if I had to pick, you know what I mean? Um, So I, best case scenario, Knicks are the four, Atlanta's the five. Uh, That's going to be tough. Jeez, looking at the standings right now, that's going to be tough to come by, but I think we will. Well, even even Knicks five, uh, Hawks four would be better than, but that's still tough. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, the key is facing Atlanta in the first round. That's the key. And I think the Knicks, in my opinion, and I guess maybe I'm a little biased because I'm a Knicks fan, but I think the Knicks should be favored in that series. Um, if they continue to play with, you know, the defensive tenacity and play their game. If they play their game, play to their strengths, play to Tibbs' game, which can the bit of huge reason that they've had so much success this season, uh, I do think that they can beat Atlanta and match up well. Uh, now, of course, not taking anything away from Atlanta. Atlanta's had a very good season. Um, they also have – nobody really predicted Atlanta to be sitting in the four spot in the East right now. Of course, nobody predicted the Knicks to be where they are either, but Miami, people kind of you know going to the finals last year. They weren't going to be the best team in the East, but to be a top half-tier team in the East, I don't think is that far off. Um, the Knicks and the Hawks have surprised a lot of people. So I I do like – the Knicks against the Hawks. I mean, I think obviously you got to contain Trey Young. I also think it's going to depend on Clint Capella and how well he plays because there was a stretch where he was going crazy. Um, Nuts. He was averaging like, I don't know, like 
I, I could be wrong, so don't quote me on these numbers, but like there was a stretch where he was averaging like 25 and 15. Yeah, so um, something like that, 23 and 16, some some crazy numbers he was doing. Something crazy, something crazy. So you got to keep him in check. Obviously, you got to keep Trey Young in check. But with the Knicks defense, um, and if Randall's at the top of his game, and Barrett, again, back to Barrett, that's that's going to be a huge key because that's why they were doing so much winning. Is we We had talked about it on this pod before. We were praising, not praising, but we yeah. were talking up. Highlight. We were highlighting his 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 improvements. He was on fire from deep. His his three point numbers, night in and night out, were above fifty percent. It almost seemed like it was. Like it was. It was. It was crazy. Um, and when they're clicking on all cylinders, you could say this about any team. But I think if the Knicks are clicking on all cylinders and the Hawks are clicking on all cylinders, I'm taking the Knicks to win that series. I, I think uh, I, like if you asked me this a week ago perhaps when the Knicks were playing a little bit better and before this West Coast streak where they got the Suns, the Clippers, and the Lakers three in a row. And if you think about that, I think we said it on this podcast or I said it on Twitter. You take one of three of those those games, you feel pretty good. And they did that. They beat the Clippers at full strength, so that was good. But I think right now I'm hard-pressed because this Hawks team is healthy finally. And that's what I think Knicks fans are missing is that the Hawks team that the Knicks beat three times is not the Hawks team that exists right now. Bogdan Bogdanovich was averaging, you know, he missed. He only played nine games in December and, and January. In February, he played 13 games, I believe, and was averaging like in the mid-teens, like 13 points, something like that. Since April and May, he's over 20 points. He's shooting like 50% from three, and he's on fire. Danilo Gallinari is healthy. He's a game swinger off the bench for them. DeAndre Hunter is now healthy again for the Hawks. And he's been really good. And that's done. Then we didn't even mention Trey Young, John Collins, and Clint Capella. So, top to bottom right now, I actually am leaning towards the Hawks. It's still the best matchup for the Knicks, and they can muck it up. They can make it that defensive battle and can win that series. But last week, I mentioned to uh, Dan Favalli and Adam Fromel on this pod, you were here too. I think the Knicks would be favorite there today if the Knicks were the four, even, even if the Knicks end up getting the four seed for some reason which will be hard right now, I still think the Hawks actually might get the favorite over them, which is tough, but I think it's true. I, I really do. I think that team is so much different now than they were when the Knicks faced them this year the three different times. So, man, we'll see where the Knicks end up. We got the Spurs, the Hornets, and the Celtics coming up. You know, you kind of have to win all three if you want to get to that four spot because you expect the Hawks to win a couple. You expect the Heat to win a couple, and even that might not get the Knicks over the hump. So, you need some luck, and you need to win all three right now, basically, is how it goes down. Um, but, yeah, I think that's good on the Knicks, right? I think that's good on the Knicks right there. So we'll, we'll obviously discuss the Knicks, the NBA playoffs next week as we really approach the playing games. Like, it's right here. It is knocking at the door. The, the season ends, what, Sunday? Yeah, that sounds right, because I believe playing is Tuesday through Friday. Ooh, holy hell, that is... It is here, man. It is here. The Knicks clinched a playoff berth with the Celtics loss. That's awesome. What an amazing success story. I will say there was some friskiness with the Hawks offseason moves that some people thought the Hawks would be a playoff team for sure, and they got there. It took them some time to get healthy and to get right. They got there. No one expected the Knicks to be in this group. With you know, We're talking Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Obvious top three. Then we're talking Heat, probably the obvious four before the season. And then the the mishmash of the Hawks at five, six, the Pacers, the Wizards, the 
the whoever I think we thought put Boston though. And, oh, Boston obviously the Boston Boston everyone yeah, thought yeah. would be four or five range, right? So the Knicks weren't expected to be here, so it's an incredible victory off the jump. Now it's time to put the real work in, see what they can do. But now on Subway Sports Talk, let's talk some baseball. The New York Mets, Mike. Our New York Mets have won seven games in a row. They are hitting the ball way better now than they were last time we talked baseball on this podcast. And it seems like it's really starting to come together there. The pitching has been pretty much top to bottom, outstanding from a starting pitching perspective. And you look at them now, what are they, six games over five hundred? I believe they're 19 and 13. Yeah, so six games over 500. They might be 20 after today's win. No. Yeah, 19 and 13. They're right where they need to be. And we mentioned last time when we talked way more Yankees than we did Mets, we quickly talked about the Mets and said, hey, you know, they're not playing well right now. They're not hitting particularly well right now. And they're playing 500 baseball. That is a sign of good things to come. Now, all of a sudden, they've put some good offensive games together. They've put, you know, six, seven runs up on the board a couple times now in the past week or so. And things are starting to feel real good. Have you officially gotten back to the point where we are? We all were preseason where we said, yo, this team can be a 90-95 win team, could win the division, could be a juggernaut, and should be looked at as one of the top five or so teams in the league. Are you officially there yet, or is there more that you need to see? I mean, listen, in terms of being that a 90-95 win team, I don't think I ever left that point. I mean, we got to remember, we're still only 30 games into the season. So when we were talking about that a week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, we were like 20 games into the season. And, you know, people were hitting the panic button. Not yet. You know what I mean? This is, we. I still don't even think we're at our full potential. We were talking a little bit before we hopped on the pod. And we were saying how their offense really hasn't gotten going. I mean, they put up seven today, I believe. Yeah, they put up seven today, which is a good sign. You know what I mean? But their offense has not been clicking on all cylinders. Their pitching is still what has been propelling them to victory. Um, And it's a combination of starters and their bullpen. Their bullpen, I mean, I have been crapping all over their bullpen for years now for years rightfully so rightfully so for years and I think this is the first time where I can confidently say that there has been a stretch of games that their bullpen has been pitching really really well where it's probably the largest contributor to their success alongside their starting pitching um so that is definitely a positive right there and I mean it's not just one or two guys I mean Familia I mean we're used to these guys coming in and giving up runs, giving up hits, walking guys, hitting batters. And it's so frustrating because it's frustrating, but it's expected. And that's the worst part. And now, again, back to we kind of are starting to hold them to a certain standard. You know, now the bullpen comes in the game and it's just like, all right, like I don't expect you guys to blow this lead. At one point I did, and now I'm not doing that anymore. I'm happy to say that I'm not, but I'm not. Uh, some other points, I think it's – Something that's gone a little unnoticed, um, the Mets have been stealing more bases. They've been more aggressive on the base pads um, during this win streak. Uh, I forget the exact numbers, but it was like they've stolen like six bases in their last maybe seven games on this win streak, and they stole like three in their first 23 games or five in their first 23 games or something like that, Um, which is a necessity. You know what I mean? You have the speed. You added the speed to your team this year. 
Um, so you got to take advantage of that. Use it. Get these guys in scoring position. It happened twice today. They scored two runs on stolen bases today um, in terms of guy steals second and then scores in a base hit. Um, so that's that's definitely been a positive, too. I like to see that. Um, the starting pitching has been unreal, like I mentioned. And it's not even – obviously, DeGrom is the best pitcher in, in the world. Um, Stroman's been pitching phenomenal. And Taiwan Walker, man, are you kidding me? Like, Taiwan Walker has done more than Mets fans could possibly have asked for. Um, and I know it's still early, but the Mets are now six and one in his seven games that he started this season. His record wow. is now three and one after today. Um, but they are six and one in games that he started. I mean, we're talking a guy at the back end of the rotation, like a guy that might be the fifth starter going into the season if they had Carrasco and Syndergaard healthy. Um, and this guy is like, when's the next time he pitches? You know what I mean? Because yeah. He's, he's just, he's such a gamer, man. Like he goes out there and is such a competitor and just takes care of business. Like goes out there, does what he has to do. One run in the last 13 innings he's pitched and like maybe like six or seven hits. I think it's crazy. The Mets now have, at least when the Met game ended today, Taiwan Walker was seventh in the National League in ERA. And ahead of him are Marcus Stroman and Jacob deGrom. So the wow. Mets have three of the top seven pitchers in the National League in ERA. I mean, this is – we've been waiting for this. Like, for years we've been talking about – and it's crazy because Matt Harvey mound today for the Orioles, which brought back the memories of when we had our – quote-unquote untouchable pitching staff that I think they said today they pitched consecutively once for the wow. Mets ever That's and it crazy. was like Harvey Cindergaard Wheeler Mats. I think pitched once consecutively throughout all their tenures um yeah crazy to think about but you know this is what we've been waiting for we've been hearing for so long about the pitching and now they're trying to stay healthy Cindergaard's coming back soon the ground just hit the IL but that's more for precautionary reasons Thank goodness. And, you know, be precautionary. You know what I mean? Early in the season, take your time. Make sure he's good. You know, he's the guy. So make sure he's good. Whether they decide to go with an opener for that start or two starts he's going to miss, we'll see. It worked for them well the last time they did it because their bullpen has been pitching so well. Um, but their starting pitching has been unreal. Their bullpen pitching has been great. And that's the reason why they're winning games. I mean, the offense is going to come around. You know what I mean? These, these guys are going to start to hit Lindor. Everybody was panicking about Lindor last time we were on the pod or two times ago, whenever it was. And I think he's gotten a hit in six games consecutively now. So, you know, he's coming around. He's doing his thing. We still got JD and Brandon Nimmo, who was our best hitter uh, on the IL. Those guys should be coming back soon. Um, but, yeah, man, I mean, also huge Kevin Pillar oh, yeah. and Jonathan Villar. I mean, these guys. The, the Yars. There's a lot of stepbrother memes going out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just awesome. It's it's so great to see these guys. And they, they had an interview with Pilar after the game today. And he was just saying, like, you know, we've been, you know, waiting for our opportunity. Obviously, you never want to see guys go down. But, you know, we wait for our opportunity. And you got to be able to take advantage of it and just do what we can do to contribute to this team's success. And they've gone above and beyond that. I mean, Villar, Villar scored the winning run last night. Mazika, what a story, man. Yeah, where we haven't but, even mentioned him yet. That guy's incredible. Hasn't had a hit yet. He's incredible. King of, <laughs> king of RBI fielder's choice, man, to win games. It's unreal. Um, 
but it's it's things like that. You know what I mean? Like a guy like Mazika, who's had what four major league at bats now, and gets put in a tough spot at the end of the game twice, and doesn't hit a grand slam or doesn't hit a home run to win the game. Doesn't get a hit. Doesn't strike out either. <laughs> doesn't get a hit, but he puts the ball in play. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there's there's some guys that are gonna go up there and strike out and hitting a fielder's choice to drive a run in does a lot more damage than striking out and ending the inning. So for him to go out there and be put in that spot and to put the bat on the ball when he's only had three major league at bats is, you know, these are the things you got to string these wins together coming back down two runs last night. That's huge. A game like that is what separates a winning team and a playoff team from a losing team and a non-playoff team. Those are the games that you need to win. And when you could string, together those wins when you have more of those games that you win than you lose you're going to have a successful season absolutely absolutely and just to piggyback off of the things that you mentioned there one thing that we mentioned when we did our preview podcast with Alec and Andrew and and you was these secondary signings for the Mets this year and how they have actual depth now now we obviously hoped it wouldn't come into play so soon in the season but with all these injuries it feels like Pilar plays almost every day right like he's playing every day and he's doing a good job. Like, that at-bat he had against Baltimore, it's what you were saying last night, now two nights ago from when this podcast came out, was insane. It was an eight-pitch at-bat against a closer who's been really good this year. He almost hit a home run that got, you know, it was foul. It got called a home run that was shown to be foul. And then still fought back, smoked a line drive or one hopper at the third baseman. He couldn't handle it. And that started the run. It, it really is insane. Now, if you think about the statistics of the Mets right now, they are actually in on-base percentage, they are ranked in number three in the MLB. Now, that might sound good, right? That's good. We like on-base percentage. That's something that matters. Unfortunately, though, they are 29th in slugging percentage. So, yes, they're number three in on-base percentage, but they're 29th in slugging percentage. Now, because the OBP is pretty good, their OPS, now we're going on-base plus slugging, they're up to 20, uh, 23rd. So, yeah, that's better than 29th, but this team still isn't hitting for power. They're not hitting in the home runs that a lot of teams do in this league. Their batting average as a team is about midway, 13th. So, 13th in average, 3rd in on-base percentage, but 29th and 23rd in slugging and and OPS. And they're still, you know, six games above 500. It's a great place to be at, and the, the depth that we all hoped would help this team when they really needed a bump has proven... True. It has proven successful to this point. So it's it's a great building block. And I think your stolen base statistic is accurate because they have nine so far this year. So if you're if you're spot on about six and three, uh six in the past seven games and three the whole chunk before that. So that's pretty impressive. The offense is doing what they had to do to get runs, and now the bats are coming around slowly and st- uh, and surely, and they're starting to look like a real offense again. Or not again for the first time this season, really. Uh on the T1 uh, Taiwan Walker front, right now. He's got a 2-3 ERA. The whips of the big three for the Mets right now, Stroman's a 1.0, DeGrom's a .6 whip, and Tawan Walker's a 1.02. I mean, you just can't ask for much more from your from your starting pitchers. It, it really is off the charts how solid they've been for this pitching staff, and they're helping out Diaz. They're helping out Familia, putting them in good spots and chances to, you know, make winning plays and make winning pitches and whatnot. So, a lot of positives to draw from the Mets, and the Mazika thing has been really fun. I think it's a, a good reason to believe this team is going to keep ticking up. And if this if this holds, obviously they're not going to win every game in a row. They're going to lose soon. 
They might lose their next game. But they're they're playing baseball the right way right now, and that's without the bats even coming around, so there's a lot to look forward to. Moving on from the Mets, unless you have anything else to add there, because I want to do two minutes here on the Yankees before we say goodbye. Anything else on the Mets? Nah, I think you covered it all, man. Like you said, they're in a really good spot right now. Um, I'm back in my excited-to-watch games. You know what I mean? I'm looking to see when they're playing. I want to watch the games because I, I think it's fun. I think these guys are now finally having fun. I love the thing that they, I don't know how it started, but when they get on base and they wave to the dugout, I think that's, you know, I, I feel like maybe last year or two, I think it was last year when they, uh, they like kind of like, I guess, double like fist bump themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, They yeah. kind of like give like a, a bat signal almost. And now they do the wave. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like the team camaraderie, they're having fun. Mazika's jersey's getting ripped off pretty much every night. Like, <laughs> It's, it's just a fun time to be playing. And this is what they've been waiting for. And, like, I feel like the guys on the team, Dom Smith, Pete Alonzo, like, their personalities, Lindor, like, these guys want to have fun. Like, yeah, they want to win, but they want to have fun when they're winning. And I think that that's, that's really important, and I think it's great that they're doing that right now. What I want to see is the next time they get a walk-off, I hope Mazik is not even involved, and they still go rip his jersey off. Douse him. <laughs> like he's not even that'd in the game. Hilarious. He's not even in the game, and the whole team just goes at Mazika and is like, ah! <laughs> like that'd be hilarious. Um, <laughs> that'd yeah, be hilarious. Absolutely great stuff so far. And uh, just to correct ourselves, they are according to what I'm seeing on ESPN is 18 and 13 yet right now. So not 19 and 13 yet. I think we were. I think we were counting one uh, before it was true. But on to the Yankees. Can also confirm 20 and 16 for them. I was also informed via text while we were recording from Alec Argento. First time the Yankees won a series in Tampa in two years. They just clinched that tonight with the one with the one nothing uh, win with Garrett Cole on the hump. So that's that's saying something that they couldn't beat Tampa in their home stadium. You know, like you don't expect the Yankees to ever not beat the Rays in one series in Tampa each year. So that's you know off the hump, off the schneid for them there. They're 20 and 16. Similar story to the Mets, except their bats probably picked up a little bit harder, a little bit more intensely over the past couple weeks or past week or two, with Judge starting to hit some home runs, Stanton still doing some awesome stuff here. Um, and just kind of in general, their their offense has just been a little bit more high powered here. They're 20 and 16. I think we can take the same mindset that we had with the Mets there with saying, hey. Look what they're doing without even playing that well. The Yankees are similar right now. They're 19th in slugging percentage, and it seems like they're hitting decently. There's a lot of room to grow for them. Luke Voigt just came back and played his first game, and they they have all the talent in the world, right? So there was never there never should have been a panic button hit for the Yankees. There shouldn't have been a panic button hit. Bat, ugh, God, I can't talk. Panic button hit for the Mets, and now. You know, the Yankees have a couple more games under their belt than the Mets, but we're looking at two teams above 500 who are playing solid baseball and seeming to play better today than they were yesterday, moving in the right direction. So anything that you want to add on the Yankees in regards to maybe a message to the fans who panicked, anything like that, because us Mets fans here, you and I, we're not used to knowing, pretty much knowing that your team is going to still find a way to 90 wins. We're not used to that. We're, we're used to finding your way to 82 wins. Like, that's what we're used to. Like, you know what I'm saying? We're not used to finding our way to 90. We're used to finding our way to 77. So what do you want to say to Yankee fans right now 
who may still be slightly frustrated with injuries or this or that, that they should still feel good about their team. Yeah, they absolutely should. I mean, it, it's so it's, it's the same thing. You know, the Yankees, they go into a something, whatever, and immediately it's fire everybody. And it's just relax. You know what I mean? Take a breath and you guys are going to come around and it's a long season and you don't have to just hit the panic button when you're 20 games in and you're still finding your way and things are a little bit different. You know, spring training was a little bit different. Like the Yankees are going to find their way. They just got Voigt back in the lineup. Like you said, their pitching has been pitching a lot better. They're on a four game win streak, won eight of their last 10. Um, and that's huge beating Tampa Bay. I mean, Tampa Bay's had their number for a while now. So to, like you said, kind of like get over that hump and, and to kind of, you know, take care of business against Tampa Bay, uh, that, that's really good for them. It just is going to continue to improve their confidence as a, as a team. Um, Stanton, like you said, has been hitting really well, uh, continuing to do so. Judge been coming around. Um, so they, they are going to be all right. I mean, they've had uh, some games as of late, not really many, um, where they didn't look good. I know there was one game particularly where they had three errors in one inning, and this could be maybe a week ago now. Um, but they had three errors in one inning, and it was their worst inning of the season. Every team has it. You know, you go through it. Doesn't mean you fire everybody. Everybody has it. You know what I mean? So, Yankees fans, continue to breathe. You guys are going to be fine. Uh, it's a long season, and you should be happy with the way they've been playing lately because it's definitely been an improvement from what we've seen early on. So, both New York teams in a good spot right now. Absolutely. In the last 15 days, 15 days, sorry, not games, 15 days, Giancarlo Stan has 20 hits in 12 games. LeMahieu has 15 hits in 13 games. He's batting 280. Stan's over 400, by the way, in the past two weeks. Judge, 12 hits, three home runs, nine RBIs. He's up almost 300 in the past two weeks. Like, Glaber Torres has hit two uh, home run. He's gotten double-digit hits in the last in the last 11 games. He has 11 hits. Like, these are the things that you're looking at with the Yankees right now and saying, okay, Glaber's starting to look better. Hicks is starting to look better. Like, Frazier's popping the ball. Urshel is batting over 350 in the past two weeks. Like, all these things are starting to come together, and they're starting to look like the team we expected them to be. There's been a lot less roof net or door in the Yankees lineup and a lot more, you know, Geo, Clint Frazier, and uh, Glaber Torres action. And that's a good thing. You know, you might love uh, you might love the Odor pimp, you know, bat flip when he hits his one home run every two weeks, but, you know, you want to see those other guys out there. You don't want to see more of that. You want to see more Glaber. You want to see more DJ. And now we can finally see DJ at second base if Luke uh, Voigt is able to start playing in the field and, and be consistent and you know, he got hit by a pitch in his first game back and whatever. So it's all good. It's all good. And then the last note for the Yankees is Aroldis Chapman is silly good right now. Like, silly. It's actually, almost without a doubt, the best I think he's ever looked, which is insane to say. But he looks like a guy who doesn't only throw 101 now, but a pitcher who happens to throw 101. It's really impressive out of, of what Chapman's doing. Yeah, it's it's unreal. Uh, and like you said, like the fact that like he's looking at, at his best now um, is is pretty wild, um, but it's coming at a great time for the Yankees. You know, again, a large part um, of their success. Um, bullpen's got to pitch well, and he's got to play his role and close games out for them, like he has, and he's been lights out. Definitely a bright spot for the Yankees early on in the season. Absolutely. Well, this has been awesome, Mike. First episode under the belt with just you and I. How did how did it feel? How did it feel being just a one on one here? Yeah, honestly, it was awesome, man. Like. Like you were, uh, alluded to earlier on, it's great having 
other guests on because we kind of add a different dynamic. You know, we get different opinions, different takes, which I love too. You know what I mean? As a sports fan, man, like I love hearing what other people think, you know, what other people have to say and even the banter, you know what I mean? Like someone gives a crazy take that I don't agree with. That's part of it. You know, that that's, that's what makes it so great. Um, but this has been awesome, dude, as always, like, I just love doing this, man. And I'm looking forward to just doing it more. Like I, I really, truly look forward to these episodes. Oh man, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. You did great. We're going to keep building on this. And I'm, you know, if we were like a big podcast, you know, if you listen to like Bill Simmons, sometimes he'll mention like, oh, the aggregators are going to come for me for this. Listen, guys, this is not reporting. It's just me speculating. Like aggregators, like shut up. If we had aggregators, I would have them say, that Mike Bonfield doesn't want any other one, any other people on the podcast. <laughs> I'm just Crazy, I'm not just, true, man. I know, I know. Obviously, I'm just messing around. Um, False information from your host. Yeah, just fake news spewing out of my mouth. <laughs> an hour and twenty minutes into this episode, I'm just I'm just messing around. Though uh, we actually, this will be my last words, and then you can do yours. Rumor has it that all of the NBA outsiders are getting together for an episode next week, heading into the play-in tournament and the playoffs because this year's been tough for the outsiders. You know, Kyle's been coming in hot a lot. Uh, Frank's been here a lot for the season. We haven't been having a heavy dose of Duffies. In fact, have you even done an episode, Mike, with any of the Duffies? I don't think you have. I don't believe so, no. I mean, it's been tough. They've been really busy. Um, John Lucas has been working his buns off over there. Uh, at the Prudential Center, as well as finishing up like his masters and stuff like that. Andrew Duffy's been busy as well, taking up some more work. So we're gonna get the whole crew. This is this is rumor has it. We're gonna get the whole crew, myself, Kyle, Frank, John Lucas Duffy, and Andrew Duffy to get the NBA Outsiders together for the playoff preview. So I'm hopeful for that next week. And if not, if we can't get the whole squad together, we'll get as many as possible. And Mike, I'm sure we'll be here as well. And we got NBA playoffs, boys and girls. Right here. The playoffs are here. I, I really, I don't even know how I feel about it. You know, you work up the whole season looking forward to the playoffs, and now that it's like a week away, I'm overwhelmed per usual, but very, very exciting. So, Mike, last words for you on Subway Sports Talk. Uh, yeah, so two things quick. Uh, I think, again, I know we talked about it for a good part of the episode, but Shout out to New York Knicks for clinching a playoff spot. I actually just saw on my phone, it came across from Bleacher Report, the Knicks were plus 2,000 to make the Ooh. playoffs at the start of the season. Um, so really just something that is just incredible. Um, living in New York and having so many losing seasons uh, and having such low expectations to now being a playoff team uh, is just unbelievable. So kudos to the Knicks. Kudos to being a New Yorker. Um, and it's an exciting time for New York basketball. Also... Uh, one thing we did not talk about at all tonight, um, NFL schedule drop. Mm. Um, so just real quick. Nice job, nice job. Uh, Giants have two Monday night games, if I read the schedule correctly, uh, three weeks apart at Kansas City and then at Tampa Bay. Uh, so those should be interesting. But overall, uh, we don't play Philly until the second half of the season. We play them twice in the second half of the season. I know all Giants fans are going to have those games circled on the calendar. Uh, I know I will. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to some more football talk, hopefully coming soon, uh, because the season's going to be here before we know it, man. Absolutely. And speaking of football talk, I talked to our guy, Pat Boyle, today about the excitement we have for coming back on Subway Sports Talk. And if you like Pat Boyle on Subway Sports Talk during football season, check out his show at Boyle Shen Show or 
If you listen to the fan, you might just hear him because he's he's crushing it over there at WFAN uh, behind the glass, but making his way onto air because you know if you know Pat Boyle, he's gonna get his takes in where he can. You know that. So if you hear him on the fan, give him a shout. Give, please do. That would be awesome. Uh, on the Giants uh, front, real quick, FanDuel has their over under currently at seven, which is probably about right. You can probably take the whole NFC East and put them at seven and a half every year, and you'll go 50-50. Like, that's just how it is in the NFC East. So they're at seven, make or break season for Daniel Jones. The Jets are at over under six right now. Um, So maybe a little high, perhaps, for a rookie quarterback to get over six to get to seven and nine might be very tough. But, you know, they got some winnable games. Like, you really look at this this schedule here for the Jets, and, you know, you see the Panthers, and you see the Bengals. That's pretty incredible, by the way. For Week one, is that that's a regular season, right? That's not preseason. Week one, Sammy D, Sam Darnold versus the Jets? Are you kidding me? NFL, you couldn't have done better. That's incredible. And, you know, if you split with the Dolphins, you maybe split with the Patriots. Like, those things are possible now. And if you do that, you know, maybe the Jets can sneak to seven, but that's going to be tough for them. So, again, over under seven for the Giants, over under six for the Jets. Exciting, exciting stuff in the NFL. It's it's here before we know it, Mike. It's summertime. You know, in like two weeks is Memorial Day, and all of a sudden we're looking at, uh, you know, preseason around the corner. That's how it works. Crazy. God, looking forward God to it, though, man. I don't want to rush the summer at all, but yeah. football is always a great time, man. Absolutely. You can't beat a football Sunday. You just can't do it. You can't beat a football Sunday yeah. as great as uh, the playoffs are in basketball and baseball and et cetera. You just can't, can't beat it. All right. Well, that's all we got today on Subway Sports Talk. For Mike Bonfield, who is incredible, my name is Peter Kennedy. Thank you so much for listening. Go to Subway Sports Talk on Apple Podcast app. Don't forget to, uh, to leave a rating and review five stars if you, you know, feel kind, if you will. Uh, don't ask people to do that all the time. I don't know. I hate always just being like, oh, leave a rating, leave a review. But those ratings and reviews really mean the world to us. Uh, and they do help a lot as well with getting this podcast seen. More eyeballs on Subway Sports Talk when you support the show. That if you're listening to right now, an hour and 20 minutes into the episode, clearly you don't hate us, right? So, so drop that rating and review. And we appreciate you very much. So have a great day. Great rest of the week. We'll be back next week with NBA Playoff Talk. And obviously more baseball and football talk as life moves on. But that's all. Subway Sports Talk. Cheers.